build momentum, confidence with your athlete. This is something that every session they should feel like they're better, they've improved an athlete, both from what the work they've done, but also from the training culture that you have in the gym and on the field. So that's really important. Make sure you're aware of how you're leaving that athlete or how that athlete is leading in terms of how they feel at the end of every session. You're listening to the Prepare Like a Pro Live Chat Sunday Show. My name is Jack McLean. I am your host. And each week I stream live at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time from our YouTube channel to provide a weekly update. I also stream live to our Instagram to answer any questions sent through to us during the week. And then at the very end, finish off with a power tip to help footballers gain a competitive edge for the upcoming football season. You might be thinking, how do I feature my question? It's very simple. You can email us at info at preparelikeapro.com or direct message us from any of your socials. I'll include the answers in the next PLP live chat show. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode and are hungry for more Aussie rules football knowledge, then our academy is for you. Our academy is designed for footballers and aspiring AFL strength and conditioning staff. Included is weekly coaching sessions, invites to our community of athletes and coaches, and complete free access to our high-performance education. And lastly, discounts on programs and merchandise. For more information, head to preparelikeapro.com academy. Let's get into today's episode. Hope you enjoy. Let's get straight into it. As I mentioned, we'll be discussing my top 20 key principles when it comes to strength and conditioning. These have evolved over the years. However, I don't see them to change in the foreseeable future. It's something that I've lent on these principles over the last few years, and uh, I think they'll stay strong over the next future of my programming career. I'll discuss how they've evolved and how I apply them. They're the two areas that I certainly benefit from when learning from other practitioners. You want to learn context and where they've where, why they've come up with a certain method or why they're a strong believer in a particular principle of strength conditioning. And then more importantly, how do you apply that principle? So they're the key areas that I'll focus my energy on today. And I'm more than happy if you want to send in any questions or queries to elaborate or provide more context on, feel free to uh, send those questions in. Because I record all the presentations, if you could save your questions for the end, that would be fantastic. Let's get straight into it. So keep your programming simple and stick to the basics. So simple, clear, concise programming for me when working with athletes or anyone, even gen pop for that matter, is really important. And the reason that I have come to that is through wanting to try and make my programming fancy, try and make it implement new methods. Perhaps I haven't fully understood a method and, I've, and I'm trying it out, experimenting it. And I have, I've learned over time that if I take my time to implement new things and try them on myself first and, and don't act on them straight away. For example, just a couple of weeks, I went to a professional development day with Bill Knowles and straight away, whenever you go to any of those courses, you're pretty motivated to implement straight away. But I find that if I, it's a, if it's a slow burn, and I let it simmer for a period of time, really absorb that philosophy and that style, whether it be new exercises or just a different type of way of uh, bringing your session plans. I'll practice it on myself first. I'll reflect how I see it working from a practical point of view. But more importantly, what am I taking out to fit in those new exercises? So what's leaving the program to be able to find space? Because we're working with 
in my current role in strength and rehab at Melbourne Footy Club, you do have a lot of time, but you want to make sure you're using that time wisely. So there's got to be a clear purpose that athlete is going to benefit out of spending their time and energy onto that drill or that exercise or that current program that they're in. So I think if you try and act straight away, implementing new concepts that perhaps you don't fully comprehend as much as you should, Early in my experience, it become quite messy and too complex, and it's hard for the athlete to actually fully grasp what they're focusing on uh, and why they're doing that exercise. Whereas if you take your time, don't implement it straight away, experiment on yourself first, have a think about how you what you're taking out of your programming to accommodate something new, then in my mind, it, you're going to be better able to sell that exercise or that program to the athlete. And also it's going to be really simple for them to understand. So ultimately, they're really clear on the purpose of that new drill. So this is something that I, whenever I'm spending my block of programming on during the week, I'm constantly thinking about, is it simple? Is it easy to understand? Is it really clear for the athlete to know what the purpose of the program is all about? Individualization. I'm just going to move my video if I can to down here. Sweet. Individualization, people will react and adapt to the same program in different ways. So individualization is another thing that over time I've always highly valued. However, I will, when working with a group of athletes, I think you need to be able to manage how you implement individualization. So team sport, obviously, they need to be able to work together and they thrive in working in groups. So if you're wanting to elicit a strength stimulus, in my mind, you're going to get a better result by pairing up athletes together when they're coming from a team sport because they're going to motivate each other. One must might love lifting weights. The other might be someone who prefers running or the skill aspect of the game. But if they're lifting with that person who lives who loves weight, that's going to have a ripple effect put on them and they're going to, their intent and their ability to train with intensity is going to come along for the ride with the person that loves it. Um, obviously, it can go the other way. The other person can pull that person down and that's where you need to be able to be smart who you pro, who you're pairing up the athletes with or when they're pairing each other up making sure that they're that it's productive and that actually getting the most out of themselves but if you've got a good culture good training standards in the gym or on the field you'll find that more often than not it'll actually empower those that um, maybe are training at the same standard to come up along for the ride so uh, i think individualization is something you need to manage majority of the time in rehab of course it Everything you're doing from football to conditioning to strength is all individualized. But where you can, you want to integrate them into the group. So that might mean that once they get to a certain point, then they're safe to be able to do their warm up with the group rather than doing the warm up in isolation with yourself. Send them over to the group warm up. That might mean there's a low level kicking drill that's no non contact that they can do with low intensity. Send them over to the football ground. Same with the gym program. Always trying to bridge that gap towards lifting with the group because from a physical point of view, they're going to get more out of it. From a motivation point of view and from a psychological point of view, they're going to feel more connected to being a back to full capacity of their training and back to what feels normal for them, which is a huge thing. Rehab can obviously be a lonely place. So wherever possible, in a group format, team format, you're trying to pair athletes with each other and feel like they're working together on something because it generally gets a better outcome in terms of intent and intensity. In saying that, if for medical reasons, so let's say someone you know has a flared up back and you feel like a certain exercise isn't going to be great from that acute stage and you want to try and still get in a strong stimulus but not 
flare them up even further, then that's when you'd scale the movement. Same thing for the rookies, those that have just come into the program and you're doing a more complex coordinated movement and then they're not able to really grasp the movement. So I'll still try and educate them and coach them through the movement. But if, if it's not happening today after a couple of shots and you can't coach them to that point through, through giving them a go, then I will simplify the drill so they can still get the similar stimulus, similar effect that the group's trying to get, but also they're moving well and they're moving closer towards that movement. So for example, it might be the group's doing barbell RDLs and one particular athlete that's got a sore back for the day might be doing back extensions instead. So that would be an example, but you're always trying to get them back to the main group so that they're getting similar loads as the group and also building that resilience, which is really important. Other areas that I'll individualize and I have done in the past, for example, we had a developing Ruckman at a footy club I was working at a few years ago and they were playing VFL time if they're on an AFL list and we noticed that they were getting uh, great development in their game, but because they got drafted late in preseason, they didn't get the full AFL preseason. They got drafted in uh, the preseason rookie draft, which I think was around March. So they missed a full AFL preseason. They were a long-term project. Now they're currently playing every week in the AFL, but back then that was their first year. And being a key player at Paul Ruck, we knew that it was a, around a three- to four-year project. So we decided for that player to put them through a mini preseason in the middle of the year, around April through to, I think it was May or April, around that time where the season was well underway. And we took them out of the program for six weeks and we put them through a strong conditioning and strength block to put on muscle but also improve their capacity. So when they returned back to the field, they'd be able to handle more game time. They were more resilient, so they would they would build some more muscle to be able to handle the big bodies. And sure enough, it did set them up for a more successful back end of the year because he felt really confident in his ability to cover the ground so he could play more game time because he could recover better from those jostling, wrestling efforts and repeat efforts covering the ground, as well as that his shoulders were pulling up better because he was able to hold his ground a lot better in the contest. So that's an element where sometimes you will prioritize the individual over the group. And that's a good example. It's not something that you do all the time. Certainly, of course, for an AFL player playing AFL games, you would never take them out of the senior team, or you could, but it would happen a lot. wouldn't happen as common as more your development pathways. So hopefully that provides a good example in why I value individualization, but also remember that it's something that you don't want to over-individualize. I have seen that in the past where everyone, every athlete, gets their own program, they're doing different lifts on different days. Practically, it's hard to set up the gym for that session from a culture point of view and energy and vibe that everyone's sort of looking at their program because they're all doing different things. So it doesn't flow as well. And the athletes just simply, not only do they, does it not feel and get the same sort of energy, it also just isn't as high quality of a session in terms of stimulus as well. The intensity is off. So pair them up together, get them feeling like they're following something all as a group where you can and then individualize on a needs basis so it's that whole 80 20 percent of the rule like 80 percent of the squad are doing the same amount of work and then you just find tuning the 20 percent to individualize so there's definitely a place for it be clear on the adaptation you're ch- chasing so each block when you're working with a sport like afl obviously there's contact there's huge running demands there's the technical tactical point of view then you've got your high intensity stuff so you're sprinting your acceleration deceleration and change of direction work so there's lots to take into account when you're doing your, your periodized programming particularly over pre-season so typically i'll have a really clear folk on my programming so if i'm working with an individual in rehab or if you're managing a group we'll go block by block so although we're still working on all those qualities 
in a current month, let's just say in December, we might be really working on their ability to do aerobic high capacity work or high speed running or maximum power output. So there'll be, although you're working on all those qualities, there's one that you're really attacking and doubling down on. And I believe that's really important because otherwise you can not get the most out of those athletes. And also they won't get clear objectives and measures on, on, on where they're heading. So if you just all year round, all preseason, you're doing a little bit of everything, you won't get the same amount of progress. Whereas if you do a little bit of everything and then one block, you're doing a little, you're really putting a lot more time and energy into that quality. For example, like I said, that maybe repeat high speed running is something you're doing an extra 10 to 20% in a normal week for for that four week block. So that's really important. And that feeds into where you're at in the year. So for example, off season, when the players have just finished, max strength would be a great focus for that point. So really making sure they're doing lots of sets, lots of rest period and high intensity, low reps with a high percentage of that 80% to 90% of how heavy they can lift to their lifts. So um, that's a great time because then when they come back to training, they're going to be getting into the football loads are going to be going up. So you're going to need to strip back their total amount of volume that they're doing in the gym. But if you've built that strength block, you can still get some good high intensity lifting in the gym because they've got that base they built over off-season. So you've got to think about the current phase, where you're at, what's the best time to focus on in that block. So let's just say off-season, great time to do strength. You're also allowing the joints to regenerate during that time, so you're not doing as much sprinting, hard deceleration, change of direction work, so you're letting the body rejuvenate from that joint point of view and neural point of view, and you're focusing more on your max strength while building aerobic capacity, so the real fundamentals from a strength conditioning point of view. So then when they go into the pre-season block, um, you're able to then strip those two qualities back and focus more on the pointing end, repeat speed, sprinting, and obviously the football loads. Now, in saying that, while you're doing aerobic capacity and strength work, you're making sure you're exposing them to agility, to kicking loads, to threshold efforts where their heart rate's up, the worst-case scenario type of events. So then when they're getting back into the program, they're able to do small-sided gains. They're able to do sprints. They're able to work under high duress. Um, so that's when you can scale that type of focus up, more the chaotic nature. Then when you go into Christmas block, you might focus on another strength stimulus again, another aerobic capacity stimulus again. And then you go back into the January, February block, where now it's much more specific. So most of your loads are focused on with a football involved, for example. So that's just a general area that we'll do. Um, and hopefully that makes sense. Within that, you'll have, like I was talking about before on the slide before, you'll have individualization. So for some more experienced athletes, their max strength might be close to their ceiling and their return on investment isn't going to be massive if they just keep focusing on strength. So for them, they're naturally focusing on maintaining strength, but they're putting much more energy on their rate of force development and their power. So that's where you continually get the strength in. You might be doing less sets, but they're able to lift at a higher intensity, more weight, and then you're pairing a lot more, drip-pinning a lot more power work over that off-season, pre-season. So then when they come back into the new year, same thing, you've built up that amount of power work that you can still maintain a good stimulus over while when the football and the fatigue comes back in. So be really clear on what you're focusing on in each block with the group and then within that for the individual. And like I touched on before, know what you're maintaining. So that's really important. You don't want to have the linear periodization model, I believe, where, okay, we're going all in on max strength and we're not doing any speed and power. And then we'll strip back the max, or classic would be hypertrophy, uh, you know, strength, power, speed for example what we want to do instead is mix them all together so you're doing a little bit of everything you're continually focusing on all those but then you're scaling one up 
and then you're continually focusing on the others while the other one comes down, another one goes up. And the reason being is if you do blocks where you only focus on one cell area and then you stop that, if we do hypertrophy, strength, power, speed, that's a four-month block. If you're When you're doing your speed, if you haven't done any muscle mass work, more volume-based work, capacity work, then that, that's been three months where that's deconditioned. So what you did, what you achieved in a month is just well and truly all decondition over those three month phase where if you're doing a little bit of everything and then scaling some up scaling some down in a nice planned manner for that for what that group needs and that individual needs you're you'll find you'll actually sometimes hit p the athletes will hit pbs at times that you didn't expect them to it might be two months after the max strength block because the max strength block built up a lot of work it built up a lot of exposure they hit some high training loads and then you started to see the benefits of that later on it paid dividends once they're doing their power work they then hit their max strength numbers so it doesn't happen it can happen at all different times but ultimately if it will pay dividends when you maintain all your work and then you scale some up some scales some down and you rinse and repeat that cycle that way the athletes are constantly maintaining a good level of athleticism hopefully that makes sense and it's very different to what used to be taught in the in university and courses Come under tension. This is something that generally gets overlooked, and it can be quite challenging with a main with a big group. But chip away at it definitely can be worth your while when educating athletes, especially when you get to work in smaller groups on what tempo means and how it can impact their training and their athlete development. Uh, but what I'll think about when I'm programming is thinking of how do I want to influence the stretch shortening cycle. So do we want to target more muscle development, or do we want to t- challenge more tendon involvement? So. An example would be if we're trying to get muscle hypertrophy, we're trying to build size, build bulk on the athlete, build their body armor. Then as you can see here, depending on the tempo that you prescribe, you could program 12 reps. Or actually, that's probably about it. You could program 20 reps with a, sh- with a short duration. So the athlete's basically just moving at a natural pace, two seconds on the way down, no pause, one second, nice and fast on the way up. You do 20 reps of that, 60 seconds of time on tension. Another athlete just adds it one second they just got to, you just got to coach and say, look, we want three seconds of the way down. You might coach them the first few reps on the squat. Three, two, one, and accelerate up one second and go straight back into the D cell. And that 15 reps is the same stimulus from a muscle hypertrophy point of view. 60 seconds where the muscles are under tension. Whereas if we're trying to train more tendon, we want to be explosive. We want to reduce the amount of time under tension. That's where we would think of doing shorter rep ranges and really focus on that elastic exposure so for me when i program being power work i'll just i don't there's no tempo there it's just an x i want you to go down and up as fast as possible and then for the if you time the total time it takes in for that where the muscles are actually under tension it's if for a set of five reps it might only be five seconds whereas for when you're doing your the opposite in especially if you're doing your hypertrophy work you might program three four second reps on the way down even a pause at the bottom so you're taking that elastic component out and then a deliberately slow concentric phase on the way up. So it might be three seconds, two seconds, two seconds. So there we've got seven seconds per rep. They only do five reps to maintain high quality and therefore you can have good weight on the bar to get a stronger stimulus and their muscles will be screaming if they're strict to that split. You haven't lost movement quality, which can go when you're doing things above 10 reps. The movement composite goes out the window, especially when managing big groups. But you've still got that that's 35 seconds of time under tension where the muscles are working and that can elicit hypertrophy while still maintaining your strength 
see getting the best of both worlds. It's also a great opportunity for those new to the gym to be able to learn how to lift with good technique. If you're doing pause tempo at the bottom rep, same with the bench press, pausing at the bottom. You can see if their shoulders cave, you can really coach the athlete on those internal cues while they're building their bodily awareness. And then obviously as they get, they earn the right, then they can do a good block of that. You're now confident when you want to go to a normal traditional strength movement, which let's say they did their box squat, normal strength movement, then they did their accessory lifts in that manner. You can really coach them and give them some good feedback where with the primary lift, you might just be focusing more on your external cues to make sure the intent's really high. Accelerate that bar up to the roof as fast as possible. Or if you're doing your power movement, hot coals are on the ground, they're doing some drop jumps and they want to be explosive off the ground, jumping as high as they can, head to the ceiling, things like that. So you can factor in your coaching cues with the stimulus you're trying to get. And then from a development movement competency point of view, you can get your hypertrophy accessory work, body armor work in while still ingraining good movement patterns. So using time under tension can be a great tool. Also for working where we want to focus on eccentrics. So you, you two up, one downs, where you basically, if you're doing hamstring curl on the hamstring machine, you curl up with two legs and then you're just doing one leg on the eccentric. And you might ask for three second eccentric stress, which is really important for improving our fascicle legs through the hamstrings, which we know proven to reduce the hamstring strains. So that's where time and tension can also come in handy, not just for hypertrophy benefits, but also for reducing the likelihood of injury, your, your injury mitigation work. So like I said, think about when you're programming tempo, the exercise might be the same, but it's how you prescribe it, how you educate the athlete that you want to perform that lift can very much dictate the stimulus that you're chasing. When you're programming, I believe, and something I've learned in the past, rather than just chipping away and doing bits and pieces at time, pick a period of time in your week that's consistent that you can spend three to four hours. Maybe you might go to a library, a cafe, wherever you're comfortable doing your work. Phone is on don't disturb mode. You've got instrumentals, music with low lyrics, whatever works for you to, to get in the zone and you pour all your energy on programming for that four hours. There's nothing else that you're doing, no distractions whatsoever, and you'll find it's so much more efficient, so much more effective way of programming. Ultimately, there's a lot of crossover when you're doing your program. So if you do one athlete at a time on different periods of parts of the week, you can get quite messy. Whereas if you're doing them all together, one, it's going to, be more effective because you're going to be able to build out that person's program so you can work back from where you want to take them and work back from that and build your plan out that way. Um, but two, there'll be some similarities from athlete to athlete. So when you're programming, let's say, for someone in rehab that needs to get 5K of distance and 800 metres high speed and no sprint, there might be another athlete that needs that exact same demand. So that, and then if they're in off-season, you want to give them some time-based runs, you can literally transfer that session to that athlete so it saves you doubling up makes it more efficient but also it's more effective the programming because you can work back from where you want to head and work back from the end goal all the way through and that allows you to really focus on quality programming and like i mentioned earlier the simplicity comes through whereas if you're just doing it through trips and drabs it can get messy as the programmer and also it can take a lot longer out of your time if you work if you count all that time up over a week you'd be spending more time because it can take 20, 30 minutes to really get in the zone of programming. Once you're in that zone, the quality and the productivity that you do is so much more effective. So highly recommend when you pick your block for the week, it doesn't have to be the same every week. Obviously, if you've got a floating schedule, but if you don't have a floating schedule, you've got control of your schedule, pick a moment where you do it and it's a non-negotiable. Write all your programs at the same time, same time with a weekly schedule. So these two work hand in hand no distractions, 
and then, like I mentioned before, write all your programs at the same time. The goal is always to keep the goal. This one, I believe, came from Dan John. The goal is always to keep the goal the goal. And if it was Dan John, I might have been another American strength coach, or excuse me if it's uh, if it was someone else, but it really resonates with me because I think, and it goes back to how we are talking about planning before, where you're maintaining a lot of qualities and then you're focusing on really attacking one quality in that training block or that training session particularly. And the reason that this is really important is so you can get clear and concise with the results that you're trying to achieve. Then your cues, your the way you're engaging with that athlete can be congruent with the session plan and that where if the athlete is brought in, they know exactly what they need to do because the coach has briefed them, the exercises are in the program and they're clear and they're prescribed not only for the sets, the reps, the percentage of weight, but also the time under tension and then all the exercises that feed into that program are all consistent with where we're working for that month, to how, what, how that session feeds into the next day and then the next day and how the week is periodized. By you keeping focus on what the goal is for that athlete, it allows you to get the best stimulus, allows the athlete to know what they're focusing on and ultimately it allows you to get the results that you and the athlete are trying to achieve. So don't try and achieve all these things at once. Be really clear on if this is the one thing that you want to achieve in this training block and you'll be, you and the athlete would be happy with that training block, then that's what you should be spending the majority of your time and energy. And, that, and there'll be moments in your programming where you might only have, you had an hour originally, but it's quick, things have changed. You've only got 40 minutes. You're going to need to take things out of that program. This is where you'll go to what is the main goal for this training session towards the bigger picture. And that's where you can prioritize that goal. And really, there should only be one priority for each session in each training block. Always remember that it is GP, not sport-specific, so understand when to pull back. If you're absolutely overworking an athlete, they're super fatigued, and the actual football training is equally affected towards that, then you need to make sure that you're programming appropriate loads that's going to allow that athlete to perform with their football training because that is their specific training. That is where they're going to get the most amount of benefits from is by doing the football training. So our work as training conditioning physical preparation coaches is all general. In that the transferability, there are there may be some. We're not it's hard to actually prove that there definitely there definitively is. We know that potentially can make life easier for a footballer when they're fit, when they're strong, when they're powerful, when they're fast. However, we can't definitively say that the by you hitting your new 2K time trial, by you hitting your new back sprint, bench press, by you reducing your skin folds, that you're going to have your best performance for a footballer. It doesn't work like that. Whereas if you're training the house down with your football drills, you're really clear on how the coaches want you to play your game, you're much more likely to set yourself up for a successful season. So we need to understand where we sit within that. We are to support the football training, but not to take away from the football training. So that's really important with the continuum of general to specific, we're much more towards the general side. So make sure you understand that if you're going into particularly a new sport, but also if you're trying to make decisions on is that athlete getting the most out of themselves and maybe their strength is at a level where by them getting stronger, the amount of time energy they're going to need to put into that compared to other areas of their game, you might need to sacrifice the time energy they're putting into their strength because they actually need to be focusing more on maybe their coordination or perhaps their skill acquisition, and they're going to get more return on investment for those qualities, whereas the strength isn't really going to move the needle. And that's just an example. Earn the right to train at high intensity. 
and quality on main training days. So I, how are you recovering? And do we have non-competing sessions on alternate days? So we want to make sure that those off days, the athletes have the mindset that they're earning the right to train at high intensity the following day. Let's say your main training days are Monday, Wednesday, Friday. What are you doing on Tuesday, Thursday to ensure that you can train at a high quality Monday, Wednesday, Friday? And that's the psychological side, how you're relaxing and resetting, the lifestyle, so how are you eating and sleeping? But also from a physical point of view, maybe you benefit more from doing a Pilates routine, a yoga routine, getting a massage, doing a recovery work. Some might be getting their heart rate up a little bit, doing low-level cross-training, steady-state cross-training work. So working out what works best for you to be able to perform at your best the next day, opposed to just thinking, I'm going to train really hard on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesday, Thursday, I'm not an athlete anymore. They need to be educated on that it's a 24-7 lifestyle and each day feeds onto the next day. So to earn the right to work is a really important mantra that athletes need to understand, but also as programmers, we need to understand. We need to have our high-low days to ensure that we're not, if we just do moderate days every day, we're not going to maximize our development. Whereas if we're really getting the most out of the athletes on one day and then we're respecting that the next day and we're, we're ensuring the athlete can get that quality recovery which although you can do things to assist it you can't replace time so having that time that 48 hour period before they need to go back up again is so really respecting that and understanding that it's not just going to happen you actually have to put in the work to be able to back up those training days in terms of coaching when you're on the floor really important that we meet them with their exercise selection, exercise selection, sorry, and scale to their level. So particularly when you're working, which I've spent a lot of time in my career working with youth athletes, I'll typically, if I'm programming for the group, I'll program for the best and then scale the rest. So we might be doing barbell back squats, but for athletes of the group of 20, only 10 can actually perform that lift. There might be five that are doing it to a box and then there might be another five that are actually doing a goblet squat. But over the coming weeks, we might do back squat for 12 weeks. Over the coming weeks, the goblet squatters would progress to the box squat, the box squat would progress to the back squat. And before you know it, at the end of the block, close to all 20 should be performing the primary lift. And then every cycle that you get to work with that athlete, you're going through that process. So same with bench press. It might be push-ups, dumbbell bench press. These movements are a little bit sim- simple in nature. They're building good tissue resilience before they're going into the more complex lift like the barbell. Um, and then when you're introducing that new movement, you, that's where you can lean on your tempo training. So some pauses, slow down the movement so you're going to get a, a greater time under tension stimulus, which is going to ingrain your mo- movement competency because you're controlling the weight opposed to weight controlling you. So then when you do start to ramp up the intensity, you shorten the tempo and you're really asking the athlete to lift as heavy as they can. They've got good movement competency to be able to do so in a safely manner. So really important have your plan, and then you're always scaling that exercise to meet that athlete. And that also goes into your coaching cues to how you can influence the athlete from a movement point of view. When working with new clients, this is more specifically to private sector, but also when new recruits come into the program, I'll usually undershoot the programming early and build those athletes with confidence through a slower burn, gradual progression. So rather than ramping them up and trying to see where they're at, minimal testing, Basically, just want to get them in, break down the movements, be really clear on what they're focusing on, spend more time educating them between sets. And then you might be doing some drills like the dowel stick on the back of the spine to be able to understand how to hinge at the hips and, and some wall running drills to be able to mimic the acceleration position and then stiff ankles. So really break down fundamentals 
So then they've got a good body awareness. So then when they're into the group or when they're training by themselves, you've educated them on what success feels like. And then they can start to be able to ingrain those patterns. Whereas if you just throw them straight in the deep end, high loads, not only you, you potentially set them up for injury, but also you might be ingraining some bad habits that's going to actually affect their performance later down the track. Really important. And this is something actually Jared Wade, Selwood Griffith, a lot of high performance managers that have worked with recently in the AFL or had on the podcast have spoken about how important it is to not waste the season. And in the past and still current, training conditioning, high performance staff, we think that, yeah, there's an association from athletes and coaches and sometimes with staff too, that we do our work in pre-season. As soon as pre-season comes around, it's just recovery in season. And that couldn't be true. further from the truth. The best programs where the athletes are in their prime shape in September, where it most matters, they are continually putting in the work in season, particularly in the gym, working on their strength and power. Because the actual loads, particularly if you compare in-season loads to your January, February loads in terms of how far athletes are covering and their total level of work over the week, when you take into account the amount of time they're working out compared to the time that they're recovering away from the club, is far greater in pre-season than it is in season. So we know that you can actually get a better, particularly strength stimulus in season. Because the athletes don't need to feel good to be able to train good when it comes to strength. We can still produce max force with some fatigue. So early on after the game, even though the athletes are fatigued, day post, two days post, you can still get a good strength stimulus. And then from a power stimulus, it's just make sure you're getting that at the back end of the week. And for a lot of athletes, they actually like that because they get that priming effect with resistive and resistance training you can get low sets particularly if you're doing the morning of a game you do low two sets but at 80 you know, of their max weight and that gives them a little tiny strength stimulus too or for the ones that prefer power that maybe 24 hours before you're doing more your 40 to 50 percent and really doing explosive and that can elicit another strength power stimulus so you can get those two with resisted priming work and then you get your strength stimulus early in the week. And then in the middle of the week, you can get your power, total body power session. So you can get the way that the schedule is works for an AFL footballer. It's a great opportunity to make strength and power gains in season. And that should be the focus for every athlete on that squad and the coaches programming in that squad. The intent is that athletes should be improving their strength and power in season. That's really important. And as soon as you make that shift, I know like for me, it was a couple of years ago, not only is it great results, but it's also really empowering as a coach that the, you're not just maintaining, which is quite dull. The athletes are actually striving to get better. Replace a deload week with an intro week apart from grand final and combine, for example. So deload week can be quite a dangerous term. It's also like things like you know, you're educating the athlete that you know, this week doesn't matter as much. Potentially, we're just freshening up, things like that. We want to watch, be mindful with the words that you use. I think if you call it an intro week instead, majority of the time, so we're introducing new exercises in this week. And that's why we've reduced the volume, we've reduced the intensity because we're getting used to those new movements. So it, yes, we know from a physical point of view, it's still a deload week. But from the athlete's perspective, there's no such thing as a deload week. It's actually just an intro week. So they're still excited. They're still feeling like, oh, we're getting better. We're striving towards improvement. Whereas if a deload week, there's a, there's a potential perspective, perception that this is a time where I can just relax. I can switch off. So I think that's really important from a philosophical point of view, replace deload with intro week. And then, of course, when it's grand final week and combine, you wouldn't introduce any new exercises and you're naturally going to potentially, you're going to reduce the volume because we're not trying to chase long-term development. It's all about 
that week and that weekly performance. So I would still program high intensity strength training and power training, but I would reduce the volume right down because we're peaking, which for a team sport athlete, you're rarely peaking except for those weeks. So elimination finals are the same. Anything where it's do or die, that's where we're not going to introduce any exercises because that's that we're not trying to, we're in, a, we're in a block where actually all we're focusing on is the now. So there's no point in bringing in new drills and we're going to reduce the volume, but we're still going to keep that intensity high. Flip your sets and reps when it comes to accumulation block. So typically when you're looking at programs, you'll see three sets is probably the most commonly programmed. And if someone's working on strength, they'll do five reps. If they're working on power, they'll do three. If they're working on hypertrophy, they'll do 12. When we're in the off season and we want to focus on our accumulation block and we want a really strong strength and power stimulus, I'll flip those sets and reps. So like I just mentioned before, rather than doing three sets of five, it's five sets of three. Rather than doing three sets of 12, it's 12 sets of three. Basically, you're still getting 36 reps, but the intensity the athlete can lift at, both from movement, but also percentage of their 1RM, is going to be far greater. So the total tonnage that you're lifting, which is your the weight that you've got on the bar times the reps that you've performed in that session, is going to be a hell of a lot higher. The of every rep is going to be much greater because you're you're moving you know is not as much dent in your sets but more importantly your strength and power work is going to improve through the roof when you adopt this philosophy or this principle i should say so that's just a really easy one to think of don't get stuck on your three sets your four sets your five sets you can program 10 sets of four and then and get the athlete there's no pairing with exercise with that one it's just i want you to lift on the minute or every 90 seconds or every two minutes depending on the movement and what you're trying to get out of it. They're lifting with time. So lifting every two minutes, the set takes them 25 seconds. You're getting plenty of that work to rest ratio to allow for protein phosphate recovery. Also, the athlete isn't in the gym for two hours. They've only spent 20 minutes at the max on that key lift. And then they can go through their 30 minute of accessory work where you're doing triceps and supersets of movements. But if you do that with your key lifts, let's say there's three of them, your deadlift, your squat and your bench press, you're going to get huge amount of results on that athlete because the stimulus is going to be far stronger than the alternative way of just constantly programming the same stuff, which obviously is dull for the athlete too. Coach less constraints-based programming and appropriate exercise You'll see the John Pryor episode I did a few weeks ago. If you're new to the academy, make sure to check that out. It was a episode where I was focusing on implicit versus explicit learning. Simply put, if we can get our exercise selection right for the athlete that's in front of you, there shouldn't be a lot of influence needed by the coach. So you can just let them feel the movement. Once you've asked them how you want them to start and how they should finish, let them work out the rest in between. Okay, so that, and that implicit learning, like you can see in this diagram here, has a far greater transferability to setting that that athlete up to success for on-field performance because they their body is working it out. They're moving intuitively. They understand um, where they need to start and where they need to get to, and then the body works out the rest. Okay, so you want to definitely educate, and at times you need explicit learning, particularly with athletes when they're younger. They need to know what should how to perform the basics so they've got that fundamental understanding and awareness. But once they're getting later on in their track, start to be more and more implicit learning because it has greater effect on transferability and you're setting that athlete up for success when they're not in front of you, which at the end of the day, you're not going to be coaching for the rest of their career. They're either going to do some sessions away from you or you're going to move to another club or they can move to another club. So you want to set them up for their future success too. What does the athlete prepare for? Build momentum, confidence with your athlete. This is something that every session they should feel like they're better. They've improved an athlete. 
both from what the work they've done, but also from the training culture that you have in the gym and on the field. So that's really important. Make sure you're aware of how you're leaving that athlete or how that athlete is leading in terms of how they feel at the end of every session. So building momentum, and that's where you can use terms like money in the bank and really knuckling down on putting in the work that they put in today is going to make them so much better for the athlete they are tomorrow. We've mentioned this one before, don't build without momentum. You don't have to follow the program to be fluid, adjust to suit the athlete. So, and this is where Bruce Lee, be water my friend, is really applicable. At times we can spend so much time and energy on our programming that we become too rigid when we're then facilitating that session. Rarely will I have the planned session, particularly when it comes to field-based training, and I won't adjust it. It might be the times that I'm asking an athlete to run those 100-meter tempo efforts at. It might be the amount of time we've spent on doing agility work. You might progress it. They're absolutely crushing that movement. They're understanding what we're trying to get out of it from a technical point of view. So you change the drill. You progress into the next agility, change direction of a drill. It might be some sprinting mechanics that you're working on and you're doing one and two switches and they're nailing it. So you progress to a triple switch or they're on the wall and they're the first time coaching them, young athletes, and their ankle stiffness and hip locks, fantastic on the wall. So you progress them to the dowel stick overhead, whatever it might be. You're constantly trying to progress or regress them to where they are that day. And that's where the John Pryor 30% messy rule come in if you're working on a movement competency and coordination. Remember, we don't want it to be too clean. If it's perfect or if it's really the athlete is fully competent in that movement and they're not being challenged from a stability point of view, then add another complexity to that drill to challenge their nervous system to work out what you're trying to get out of that drill. So if they hit the main goal, the main goal. If you're trying to work on a hip lock and they're getting great hip lock on that drill, and increase the intensity, increase the speed, or add a dowel overhead, add a, a band around the hips, whatever it might be, to challenge their hip lock ability, challenge it so that they're constantly needing to adapt. So be fluid when you're actually facilitating the session and know where you're trying to take that athlete, what is the main goal, and then therefore you can influence your decision-making within that. You'll hear this a fair bit. I think I first heard it from Alex Natira, run before you run. So he'll do isometric works. And there was an online webinar with Vald where he was talking about this for four steps. And basically, you want to program similar joint angles for an athlete. Let's say they just strained a hammy in isometrics in the gym. So let's just say like a elevated glute bridge or a sprinter's position upright with a barbell pushing into the, to the ground, working on max force. So although they're not sprinting, they're hitting those joint angles. So you're still maintaining those neural pathways in those positions, then you're progressing into more ice. So once you've done isometric phase, more isotonic. So you're moving through motion, like doing some marches, for example. Then you might progress the complexity. So some drilling, some switches on the wall or switches in a pool or switches on a gymnastic mat. You're reducing the amount of body load and force going through the joints, but you're getting in that movement. And then to the point where, and then you can run an ultra G, of course, and then you run on land. So you don't just rest and then run on land. You're actually preparing the athlete for the next place. This diagram shows it's block by block. So work back from where you want to go. While you're doing your straight line running, you're now starting to do your drilling work or more the frontal plane, lateral work. So some lateral drives, some crossover steps. So you're working on that lateral mo movement, being really strong up against the wall, pushing on a 45 degree angle into the wall, cutting off your outside leg. So you're in the gym, you're drip feeding in, where's the athlete going in their next phase of their reconditioning rehab block before you then do it on the field and then the same with main training so you get them to the point with they're now they've ticked their boxes they're straight around their high speed rating their sprint exposures and their agility now we're trying to make it as much as chaotic as nature so you're creating a hand handball small sided game 2v2 
and uh, you're doing two minutes on, 30 seconds off. So you're trying to basically replicate what the main group's doing in conditioning. And then by the time they've done leading, they've done ground balls, all the things, the jumping, marking, tackling, all those things you can do in reconditioning skills before they main train. So every block you try to build them in a rehab sense towards where they're going, what are we currently maintaining and what are we focusing our energy on in terms of the next step. That's it. Hopefully you really enjoyed our last month's get our last one for the year of our Get Better Playing Coaching call. I'll hang around for any questions. Just a quick update before I finish the recording. If you have any suggestions for who we have on the podcast for 2023, 23, let me know. I'm booking people in for January and February. So hit me up either in the discussion forum or within the academy, the community section, or you can email me at jackupgalacro.com. I'm away from this Thursday till January the 12th. So if you have any questions, though, I will be checking my email. And also for those on our program, you can check, email me via Team Builder. I'll check the messenger every few days. But also it's a time to for me to recover and have time with my family. With my partners and my wife's American. We're going over, taking my, my son and daughter to meet the American side of family and friends. So, of course, it'll be time where I will be switching off and I won't be checking as regularly as I do in terms of my communications, but I will touch base every few days. The weekly updates, I'll still upload them in Team Builder. So for those on the program, you'll have access to the focus of each week. However, we're not doing the weekly updates from the podcasting point of view because there's no podcast for the next month. The next one's with Vern Gambetta on the 19th of January. So I would love to hear from you all. Thank you for being involved in 2022 in our Pro community. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm really excited for what's on the horizon of 2023. But I want to thank you all. And I'm super grateful to have you part of our academy membership it's this was year one and i'm really looking forward to seeing what year two has installed i'll just finish up the recording and then i'll hang around for any questions hi i'm jack mclean an afl football strength conditioning coach and i want to introduce you to the prepare like a pro academy our academy is a subscription-based platform where you can sign up to be a part of our community if you get to the end of each episode of the podcast and are hungry for more this is for you designed for aspiring afl athletes and staff you'll receive heaps of bonus weekly content, learn who the guests are in advance, and submit questions. Access to our Facebook group with Jack and other Prepare Like A Pro coaches. You'll be able to receive merchandise, program discounts, and freebies, and get free access to our live events, exercise technique database, and much more. This is a great way for you to support the podcast, and it helps me with production and release of epic content for you guys each week. Your contribution goes a long way in making Prepare Like a Pro community possible. And just for $5 a week, you'll have access to all of this special content released on our Academy forums. There's no lock-in and you can cancel absolutely anytime.